0: Hi, everybody. Chris here, still in quarantine, loving it. What's not to love being locked in a room on your own? But we're not here to talk about me. We're here for a very special episode of Homo sapiens to celebrate a wicked, a brilliant new TV show called It's a Sin, written by friend of the podcast, Russell T. Davies, who has written. Most of the seminal gay TV shows that have hit your screens in the past few years. My Sexual Awakening, Queer as Folk, Cucumber, Banana, Tofu for Channel 4. And he wrote Years and Years. And he wrote A Very English Scandal, which was a massive hit and won lots of awards last year. Anyway, It's a Sin is this new show. It's basically a brand new coming of age drama set in a moment of British and LGBTQ plus history, which has never really been explored before on UK TV. And it's about the AIDS crisis and the story of a group of friends who go through it. It's a beautiful telling about an incredible moment in British history, but lots of wider themes about coming of age and friendship and love. It's absolutely brilliant. It's got Ollie from Years and Years, who is in the lead role of Richie Tozer. It's got a brilliant cast of people like Keely Hawes, Neil Patrick Harris, Stephen Fry in sort of more supporting roles. Then we've got newcomers, people like Amari Douglas, Callum Scott-Howes, Lydia West and Nathaniel Curtis. So a brilliant cast that I know lots of you listening will love. You can get it on all four or look out for it on Channel 4. I don't know when you're listening to this listeners, it may have already gone out. So why am I telling you all of this? because Russell T Davies is on the show. What was it like? Because he grew up during that time. He was the same age as the people in this show. And I think it would be a fascinating thing to hear about his experiences as well. So why don't I put on the kettle in my little hotel room, eat some of the cashew nuts I've ordered from Woolworths, which is the Australian version of Woolworths, not the one we know at home, and get chatting to Russell. As a side note for everyone, the podcast does include some frank discussions with strong language. What else would you expect from homo sapiens? Here it is.
1: You hello, Australia.
0: Because I'm in quarantine, right? If the phone rings, I have to pick it up They because it's oh. the police. You, they call you like five, six times a day to find out how you're doing. Wow. They have the mental health thing as well, where they call you up to check on your mental health and they read you out some oh. questions, which is really nice. That's was, brilliant, though. It really is, isn't it? Oh. But um, one of the questions was, have you felt worthless at all in the past few days? <laughs>
1: Oh, welcome to my life.
0: <laughs> Honey, I work in entertainment. What do you think?
1: <laughs> You've been reading my diary. Get off.
0: <laughs> yes. But I didn't bring you here to talk about me, Russell. I mean, Semi. But I came here to talk to you about you. And what the hell have you done to me with this bloody show, It's a Sin? It's fucking incredible. It really is. And oh, thank you. It's really Quite something. Thank you. It took me to a car park in Cardiff.
1: I wasn't expecting
0: this. Yes, mm-hmm. I know. Was it night time? What was I wearing? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> how I know you. That's um, it. When I went to see Brokeback Mountain on my own in the cinema oh, wow. in the middle right. of the day when I was working as a intern at MTV. That was a form of grinder back then,
1: going to see Brokeback Mountain on your own. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even then I couldn't get a shag. This is ridiculous. Oh mate. <laughs> um but I was absolutely bereft after watching that because it beautiful. was a, it was a beautiful story. Oh. It was a really sad story, but also I saw myself on screen. I think uh, for the first wow. time, one of the first times. And you've uh, done uh, that with It's a Sin. You know, you've you've created this thing which is beautiful and it's poignant and it is emotional, but it's also it's not just that as well. It's deeply funny it's you know yes, it's... Uh, i hope so yeah so thank you thank you thank you well thank you i will also add that i w- do you know why i was in cardiff we were originally to be doctor who i wish i w- i was <laughs> um the other end of the scale i was an intern at mtv and i was sent to cardiff on my own to film a van being uh, made over to be in a Madonna video. Those are the days. To be done over in purple pleather. <laughs> and I I spent three days in a sort of mechanics. It's getting more and more erotic as you go through your kind of experience, you really. You know what? It's- it was so unerotic, the- though. And actually, that's what, what was... One, one it reminded me of how <laughs> I felt after Brokeback Mountain, which was a seminal experience for me. But also, it reminded me of being young and and queer. And mm. I wondered if your route into this show was your own story of being young and a young gay man. Yes. I mean, absolutely completely because that's me.
1: I was 18 in 1981. It literally starts in September as the lead character leaves home to go to university. That was me. That's me. So it was unusual for research in a way, because normally, you know, I've written historical things. You tend to go through newspapers and, um, I always tend to go through the Radio Times because I like to know what people were watching, and um, you know, well, there's there's a great Radio Times archive going back to the 30s. You can look up everything. That's great. But this time, I, as I started to write it, I realised that oh, I don't have to think. I was there. I was doing this. I know. I know which Blue Peter presenter I fancied, and and what what pop if I was listening to. And uh, of course, <laughs> I mean, actually, I mean that's only half true because of course your memory is a liar, mm. and um, you, you can't actually list what, which Blue Peter presenter was doing what when so you then do have to go and look it up anyway but you remember how you felt mm. you know and, and remember there's a scene in the beginning where we, we didn't actually use much of this in the end we couldn't afford the copyright but i had richie going through his wardrobe richie's the lead character mm. 18 years old going through his wardrobe with stashes of i mean it's the equivalent of porn porn didn't exist but like photos of pop stars ripped out of magazines yes. that was our porn then yeah. you know all the pop stars and that was enormous fun just looking through who you fancy the todd carty from 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 grange hill he was like number one pinup the most beautiful man in the world yeah a beautiful thug wasn't he yeah of course almost none of that appeared on television because they try and get the copyright for those photos and it costs a fortune but it was nice to go through that process of of remembering
0: who you were back then i always get cold shivers about the fact that there was like this is when i was young and allegedly straight i there was like (laughs) a porn mag that got like shared around the school passed around and it was yeah. i had it at home and was doing my best with it it's all i'll say <laughs> it was a straight ball mag and then i hid it i then i went back and it and it wasn't there so somehow it had oh. been oh. taken out of my room and i'm like i bet my mom found it my mom was so not nosy like she wouldn't have cared but i'm but like she must have someone must Who have else? moved it I've always oh, like who. Found you've it? never had this conversation. Oh my! God. With my mum, I couldn't have it with my mum.
1: I remember buying a copy of um, Play Girl, Play Girl magazine oh, yeah, that has that It has men in it, and and then being so terrified of owning it that I went to this little forest near where we lived, and I tied it to a boulder and threw it into a lake. <laughs> I used that in Cucumber. That, that happens in Cucumber. I dramatize that in Cucumber. Someone dr- drowning the magazine, so terrified of being, that's very dramatic, boulders and lakes. I was it's yeah. like, I stepped into Lord of the Rings. I love it. <laughs> it's I like, love I know. It. But I was so terrified of having that thing. Amazing, isn't it? I know. And yet so
0: turned on by it, you know? like It was it was the most important thing in my life, that object. Amazing. Your show's always very sexy. You're great at sort of celebrating yeah. sex, actually. I find that attractive on screen. I mean, I want people to come and watch that. It's, it's as simple as
1: that. It's, it's, I'm not, I hope I'm not obsessed with it. But, um, you know, this, this is a tough subject. This more than anything is a tough subject. So you have to find hooks to hang it on. You have to. Yes um have a bit of sparkle and a bit of glitter and a bit of sex actually to draw people in i hope it will and casting it well obviously
0: it really does but did you find it harder because you know that what i i was thinking this is actually a set that this show you know it um i've obviously said all this in the intro but you know like it's about aids and which was transmitted mainly through sex and it was killing yeah. people. Yet the show celebrates sex. And because sex is fucking great, but how did that feel? Yes. How did you did that feel strange? It actually felt vital. Actually I
1: hadn't written proper sex scenes. Not not really since Queer as Hope twenty years ago. Because mm. um I'm very wary about writing sex scenes because I now I know now they just get separated, copied, photographed and distributed everywhere. It'll be on Pornhub before Mm. you know it. And, you know, you used to be able to sit with actors and say, yes, this is artistically viable and we're doing this for very good artistic reasons. And that goes out the window the moment their nakedness is being reprinted everywhere.
0: The moment you signed your deal with Pornhub, I think it sort of took a little bit of
1: (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, you approach it delicately. But with this, Mm. it's actually about the transmission of a virus doing sex. That's what it's about. So it, I remember writing episode one thinking I've got an episode one does have a sex scene that isn't particularly sexy. The scene with Ash and Richie where the sex stops yes. for various reasons. Um, I mean, that's not a sexy scene at all. That's, that, that's two boys discovering the problems and the things you have to do in order to have sex. Yes. Um, but I needed to get down to that level because actually it's the transmission of fluid. We're talking fluids, we're talking spunk. Mm. That's actually, and blood, that's actually what it's about. And I, just, just, I mean, the hot blood that, that drives you to have sex. Um, mm. So yeah, it was really, really important in that to get down on that level or up to that level. Why am I saying down? Up to mm-hmm, that level mm-hmm. um, because that's where the story is. It's in the transmission of that thing so it was really important this time
0: and there's such a dichotomy isn't there that the concept of being lgbtq plus in any way in any way you are outside the 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 Mm. mainstream there is a lot of shame attached to you around sex and it feels like what was so incredibly poignantly heartbreaking about aids is that it, it it targeted that thing that you just wanted yeah. to be precious because it was so hard to come to terms with in the first place, you know?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, it, it's. someone says at one point, it's the perfect virus. The perfect virus for homophobes, actually. Mm. The perfectly targeted at sex is the one area where you're already carrying a burden you shouldn't be but but certainly in the 80s and now let's be honest that that you know you're coming out you're being yourself you're finding yourself sex is still a difficult subject so in the 80s yeah. gay sex is was enormously difficult and um it's you know as a drama i kind of one of my favorite things about it is that you know i kind of i must set myself a problem is that it's a bunch of five friends they all live in a flat it's called the pink palace four gay boys one girl one straight girl and you know, I thought, gosh, I've got to, I've got to show a decade. I've got to show the homophobia of the decade and the restrictions of that decade in amongst the gay group. That's quite hard because the all gay gay when they're home, they're perfectly happy. But actually, and I thought back and I thought to my friends and I thought to myself, and I thought actually, it's not that simple. And in the drama, they're all out. They all live with each other. They all still have secrets. They still do. Ash is not out at work. Uh, Colin never says anything about his sex life. Mm. Roscoe has a completely separate sex life that he goes and lives separately from the flat and ref- doesn't, he doesn't just keep it secret. He refuses to tell them what's going on. Yes. And Richie, of course, has layer upon layer upon layer of closetedness. So, mm. so even out, even amongst your friends, even then there are all these layers of shame and complication and closetedness. So add an illness to that. Add a sexually transmitted illness to that; it's the perfect storm. It really it's is. why you know a lot of the opening of the series, the first two episodes, and certainly episode two, is very much about AIDS denial of in 1983, eighty four you know, when it's starting to rear its head and the laws change in 1967, 15 years have passed, that's almost a generation we should be coming out now. And along comes a disease that specifically targets gay men. Mm. It's simply unbelievable. You and I know, let me add the caveat, it doesn't specifically target gay men, but nonetheless, that's what it felt like. And that's how it was seen. And because of the form of transmission, that is, well, it was like it or not, it's focus. So the the bizarreness of that the you know that's why it felt like a plot it felt like something aimed at us mm. still does sometimes it, it
0: felt like there's that it beautiful like irony the homophobic it. revenge yeah the irony of it is mm. astonishing and that's why i was really pleased that you celebrated sex because i think that it is to be celebrated and we're all still coming to terms of that i myself still you know um, coming to terms with sex and i think everyone is throughout their whole life to be quite honest but yeah 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 you know and I- now
1: coming to terms with prep that's staggering and mystifying and complicated as well isn't it? it's not just a simple thing it's not just a liberation amazing never stops being fascinating doesn't it, it never stops being a drama thank god thank <laughs> <you> keep writing.
0: <laughs> well and also there's lovely you create so many lovely moments I, do, I don't know i don't want to do a spoiler but like, like they're about to have sex and then one of them is told like You need to maybe go and wash your bum, basically. Yeah, and
1: that's the the scene I was talking about.
0: And, (laughs) you know, it's like, it reminds me of when Stephen Fry is obviously in the show, but when he came on this podcast, he said that, you know, we talked about how no one teaches you how to be gay. And you go, you leave your house and you leave your... If you're lucky enough to live near a big group of gay people, then maybe they're near and you know some already. But a lot of people aren't, and you go to these places and you've got to learn. And you're meant—no mm. one teaches you. You don't even know how to kiss, let alone how to have sex. It's amazing, isn't it? No, exactly. And like I just—I found that period of my life so hard. I was just rubbish at it. You know, like I just didn't—I <laughs> didn't know what to do. And I was always—I yeah. remember once being in the Shadow Lounge in Central London, which was a oh, yeah. nightclub. I was with my friend, and we wanted to pull that was why we were there yeah and we were going round and round this club trying to find someone to get off with like literally standards dropping by the minute we've all been there and <laughs> this guy just came up to us and went you two need to just stop walking round and round this club oh wow <laughs> like, no way you're so clearly desperate and and i looked oh, back oh my god i know and i was like oh, wow oh my god isn't that funny <laughs> and then we went we ended up in some scrape where we ended up back at someone's house and they were all going to have like a Um, some form of gangbang was going to kick off. We were obviously chosen as not being suitable for said gangbang. So we were asked (laughs) to leave. They said, you two need to leave because... Oh my God, this was a great night out. Honestly. (laughs) And my friend said, he was really drunk. He went, we're not leaving. And he turned to me and said, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. (laughs) I was like, please, God, let's just draw stumps here. They don't want us here. They don't want us to join the gangbang, nor do I want to join it. (laughs) We've got a good
1: story out of it. That's worth anything. Any bad night is worth it.
0: My, but that was my... My 20s was a clusterfuck when it came to relationships and sex and all of that, you know. And I think that's... Yeah, I don't yeah, think it's yeah. spoken about. But, but what was yours like? Was it... Um as glamorously sexy as your shows no of course not oh my god although equally i never had a night like yours that's quite
1: amazing russell as soon as this
0: covid's over we're gonna amend that
1: (laughs) i was just i mean i mean you just couldn't be gay at all i was lucky when i was young because uh, in my teens because i belonged to a youth theater I mean, of school was a write-off because I went to a vast comprehensive school, two thousand three hundred pupils <laughs> in my school. Wow, I mean, enormous, and um, you know, just I just survived that because I was so tall and clever. So I just shut up and just got on with life.
0: I'm very handsome. I saw your Instagram post and, the other day.
1: Uh, thank. Oh, good God! Who is that boy? Who is that boy? 40 years of mayonnaise, Chris. <laughs> That's what that should have been titled. <laughs> and, um, but I belong to a youth theater, the West Gilorgan Youth Theater, that was, that wasn't gay. We were just kids putting on 12th night, but it was it's accidentally, pretty gay. <laughs> pretty gay. It was accidentally or automatically a gay space in which, yeah. um, I was so lucky because there were older gay boys. You know, when I was about 14, there were boys who were 18 who all went on to become drag queens. Oh, Pinky in Brighton. Um, he's still in Brighton oh, doing his shows. Imagine, you know, being 14 and those were your role models, for one of a better word. Hmm. These Incredibly, the word gay was almost never said, but they were out. They were hilarious. They were funny. You know, they were your heroes. We all adored them. So that was incredibly lucky to have them. Um mm. in the, the you know, and it was sexless as well. I've got to say, it's not it's not like there was no mentoring in any awful way. But it was and actually its sexlessness was marvellous. You just got to kind of be camp yeah. and funny and yourself, which was really brilliant. So then so then it was the normal part. Then I went to you know, I went to university and then came out there and in your twenties, and that's still the old pattern for a lot of people. We sometimes we fall into the trap of saying Talking as though everyone bursts out the closet at fourteen now, and they don't. Mm. Most people still follow this path, actually, of university. And then, yeah, my and then when I went to Manchester, really, I went to Manchester in nineteen eighty seven when I was twenty four, and that sort of started going to Canal Street and exploring that and having those disastrous nights. Oh my god, and waking up in those terrible beds, and oh my goodness, the men, those poor men, I feel very sorry for them, (laughs) the the
0: terrible nights they had. (laughs) Hey, they're lucky. I was going to say buggers, lucky, lucky boys. Lucky boys. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier about the kind of—I well, suppose that time was when HIV was and AIDS was, mm. you know, coming to yes. the fore. Yes, you mentioned At exactly that time that people yeah. were really denying it, and I think that's really mm. important to talk about because people don't yes. really know that. I mean, it was called GRID first, wasn't it?
1: Yes. I'm not sure I've ever read about grid in stuff in hindsight. I don't Mm. remember that being said. Just gay Uh, cancer, people said. And, um, of course you'd sit there, you know, there was an enormous chunk of, of it's a sin talking about this this denial that you know just that the cancer isn't caused by a virus i don't think we knew anything then, even about you know cervical cancer being virally transmitted and stuff like that you
0: know we were so much thicker then
1: but think now tell me the difference (laughs) between a germ and a bacteria and and a virus well only because of covid because i googled it
0: because my mother was buying (laughs) antibacterial (laughs) hand wipes and i said yes everyone's
1: buying that i yeah yeah
0: Sorry, I'm aware that I'm interrupting you answering a question, but I just wanted to say one thing, which is when COVID was spiking at the very first time, I bought for like £120 bloody alcohol wipes on eBay. £120? Well, that's what they charged me for these bloody things (gasps) that all I could get. How many? 200. I got some for my mum and I got some for our house and like, because my mum was being a bit like, oh, darling, I'm sure it just doesn't matter. And I was like, mum, please (laughs) just wipe everything down. Anyway... They arrived. Do you know how big they were? (laughs) No. Go on. Half the size of a postage stamp. (laughs) Because Ah, they were, they were fucking. You deserved that. I'm sorry,
1: you deserved it. (laughs)
0: Oh, they were for when you wipe before you give someone a jab. You know. (laughs) So um, yeah, so that was a that was a low point.
1: It's funny though. This um this. Yeah, the denial. And I was thinking about my own life and growing up. I remember when I was about 17, I was going to stay with my sister in Newport. And Newport had one of the very few gay saunas outside London. I think mm. the only one. You know, for a scared, closeted boy. This was like the, the holy grail of grails. Mm. This was like, there's a gay sauna. And I'd be staying at hers. And I'd be I'd have the day to myself. And I think, go to the gay sauna. And I found out the address. It was in the middle of town. And so I went there one day. And there it was. I mean, there was an actual door with a name, and it. it was real. And it must've been like a Tuesday afternoon or something. And the blood was pounding in my head. And I saw that doorway and I just walked past and I went home because I was too scared. Yeah, I was too scared to go in. But the funny thing is I told that story years later to Lisa Power, who's a great, She's a great power in the land in 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 AIDS activism and stuff um but she's our medical advisor on it's a sin mm. I told her that story, and shes because I'd always regretted that I've always thought my God, I could have learned I could have been there I could have been having sex at seventeen and having a real life, and you know how much would my life be more advanced? would it be better? Would I be a better lover if I'd gone through that door so and after all those years of nagging regret I told her that story and she said that probably saved your life Mm. your own cowardice probably saved your life because that was the early 80s and if you discovered sex at 17 you would have gone back yeah and you would have gone back and you would have gone back and you wouldn't have been in control and then you'd have gone to London just to go to more of those saunas you would have loved it and that could have killed you So isn't that weird a lifelong regret flipped completely on its head and I thought wow okay I did the right thing
0: yeah, and well, it's lucky we got kicked out that gangbang then, isn't it? But, you know, it's, it, but, it, <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can so relate to that. Like, I never went to saunas, I never really went on grinder no. because I, because the thing about being gay is everybody fucking knows each other. So I don't really want <laughs> to be in a sauna. Uh, you know, getting an erection, naked, deciding I'm going to bang someone. It's like, oh, it's you. Hi, from my friend from, you know. You're all knowing each other.
1: That's a very London attitude.
0: It is, isn't it? You
1: know, I used to go on Canal Street. When I I met my husband on Canal Street in um and car street's not that big it's a good few clubs and everything and it turned out when i saw him it was the first time i'd ever seen him and it turns out we'd both been going out on that street for 10 years really I'd never even yeah isn't that weird we'd both been living in manchester i had never because believe you me once i saw him he was Oh, he was so beautiful. Yes. Um, Isn't that strange? So nonsense, everyone knowing each other. Nonsense. But I tell you, you, I tell you what. Social butterfly. (laughs) I tell you what, Russell,
0: I can't go anywhere without seeing someone I know. I got on the plane here. Who was on my plane? Courtney Act. (laughs) You know, of all the planes and all the pandemics. But um, do (laughs) I, yeah. And also like, I do remember everyone and I recognise everyone. And... Ah, you're good at that. Yeah. And I, so I have a thing where I'm always like, hi to people and they never remember me. But... um. (laughs) There you go. I think what's fascinating about your show as well is releasing it in a worldwide pandemic. Um, Mm,
1: That's accidental,
0: yes. You're very powerful, but not that powerful. Um, But (laughs) it does provide a really pertinent reference point for everybody who just perhaps AIDS was quite an abstract thing, even for... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I know that... Well, we all know that, that you know, I listen. you listen to Jeremy Vine on Radio 2, listen to all these chat shows, listen to all the phone-ins on This Morning, I love This Morning. And um, <laughs> Me too. And everyone's talking like it's the first virus <laughs> of our lifetime now. And I'm sitting there going, it isn't, you know. The age has killed millions, untold millions. And we're talking as though this is brand new. It's very strange, isn't it?
0: Well, that's the thing. It's like... We keep being niched.
1: Yeah. You know, we don't count in the history of the world. It's, it's, it's that our virus only affected gay men. So therefore, you don't quite count in
0: history. Exactly. But it's not fair. And I think there's parallels and there's a framework for people to understand that makes it less abstract.
1: It's funny because when I wrote it, it was a mystery. I, you know, I had to go and do research into what PPE was. You'd bought it's funny, I spoke to a million people who visited AIDS wards over... For the years and I always used to ask them where did they get the PPE from? and no one could ever answer that because <laughs> of course they didn't know they're standing there in a corridor yes. and a nurse comes up to them with it but yeah. as a writer I'm sitting there going where's it Where's it from? where did they get it? And in the end I just thought invent a cupboard well <laughs> that, a friend of Matt is going, Hancock
0: well, is the answer
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly who would have known writing it the PPE would be the source of such controversy in mm. these days so it's strange look it is watching that and that's in episode one the PPE comes out immediately in episode one and, and it's a source of terror uh, you know in 1981 1982 um so yeah, how strange! How strange that looked like a quaint historical moment. Yeah, and now it's everywhere. That is weird. And it
0: makes you take AIDS seriously. I mean, not that you, one doesn't as well, but it, it. Yeah. It's the the parallels are so clear that it. And and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it's about respect for yes. these people who died silently. Yes. There's the scene where someone is in a ward and they won't drop off, they won't bring the person's lunch in because they have AIDS Yeah. at the same time, I am in a hotel room, locked in a hotel room in quarantine they knock on my door yeah. and they run away because they treat oh you God. as if you have yeah. COVID, that's their the, the MO is you have COVID so.
1: I mean that's one of the strange how can I explain this, there's a strange justice to this in that we have told anecdotally uh, the, the stories of AIDS for decades now and we've always made an enemy those people who leave the lunch at the door, or oh, those people who are scared of mm. of touching you, scared of sharing a glass with you. And yet now, with COVID, that's the correct response. Yes, wow. actually, you're I think, and I think, I think maybe I hope you can find a little bit of forgiveness for those people who reacted. In ways that we consider bad, mm. but this virus has proved that sometimes that's the right reaction. Mm. Of course, with AIDS that reaction was bound up with homophobia and with a literal, literal disgust of the person. Mm. But but I've just been reading the um the autobiography of Ruth Coker Burns, who's that extraordinary woman who helped so many sat at their bedsides as they died in America. She's just she's this incredible autobiography coming out in February. Yeah. and um, she was an extraordinary woman because she just walked into the wards with no, no worry about infection. Mm. Uh, but actually now you read her story going, are you mad? Yes. You didn't know then that you were <laughs> safe. And that's actually quite a strange thing. That's why there's a moment in, there's a moment in It's a Sin where we get someone who's scared to drink out of the same mug mm. as someone who is, who is HIV positive. Um, but actually it's one of our heroes. It's one of our lead characters. It's not, it'd be very easy to write that scene with an evil homophobic person saying, I refuse to drink from this mug. Yes. But I've switched it around and it's not giving anything to say. It's Jill. It's one of the lovely lead characters, the friend to all the gay men, the woman who helps those with AIDS, with HIV. She's the character who goes through that terror of drinking from the same mug. So much so that she gets the mug, she gets up at midnight and she finds the mug that she's washed and dried and hidden and she gets it out and she smashes it into pieces and puts it in the bin so that no one will ever drink from it. And that's a good person going through that. That's why I did that. Yeah, it's a good person because
0: it wasn't mad at the time. It wasn't completely mad to be scared of a virus. That's Mm. not mad. No, and I think that it goes to the heart of what the truth is about anything that is an unfolding situation: HIV or coronavirus is misinformation. Guess well, facts,
1: facts. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even that, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, no way about to praise our government. Our government has been shocking and dreadful during this whole thing. But, um, but almost every government has been. And the, you know, the, the rush to get facts and to understand this is is terrifying mm. because we still don't quite understand it. We still don't understand the, the consequences of COVID nineteen. Um, it's tough. Science is tough. Medicine is tough.
0: Yeah, it's Science. not It's I, there was a th- thing on radio before. Oh. This is how I start every sentence tune out if you like listeners um there's a scientist talking about how much he's had to educate journalists on what it is to talk to a scientist oh. which is it's not a yes or no <laughs> answer sweetie you know what i mean yeah. and however many times is you ask me i like it. no he didn't but that was very much his vibe
1: that's my kind of scientist <laughs> yeah.
0: hi quarantine chris here that's the end of part one are you having as much fun as i am God, I love Russell. I love hanging out with him. It's worth saying that all the episodes of It's a Sin written by Russell are available now on all four or watch it on Channel 4. Make sure you come back and listen to part two where we chat more about casting queer roles, life on set, bereavement, and how AIDS is perceived now in 2021. Simply go to your feed, Let's play on part two. See you there. Powered by Spirit Studios.